in some ways sacrifice what they always told me was their dream for stability. And I get that too. I get that so much. Like, um, for anybody that doesn't know, I'm a single dad to my four-year-old daughter, like, and, and she's my everything, right? I would do anything for her. And, um, you know, the stability is insanely important, but more than anything, every day that she comes down the stairs, like she gets to witness daddy expressing his potential. Like she sits on my lap when I do podcasts sometimes, or like, you know, she's in a lot of like my content that I make and I want her to grow up in an environment that like nourishes that. And that like really shows her like, listen, like, I don't want you to choose stability. Like you can always come back to daddy and I will absolutely celebrate the shit out of your failures. As long as you are living a life that feels good to you. Like, Welcome to Long Live Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Trichikoskaita. I'm here to remind you the power of your mind and that you are the creator of your life and your story. I will share my best advice, lessons, and mindset shifts so you could stop overthinking and find peace of mind. In today's conversation, I'm talking with an amazing Dr. Chris Lee, who is the founder and CEO of Elemental Shift, a neuroscience-based consulting company educating on brain-based creativity, productivity, and motivation, and how to build a healthier mindset. I love how Chris explains neuroscience in an easy and understandable human language so anyone can use this information in their daily lives. Chris explained the importance of emotional regulation and how to manage your stress by using biometric data. I love how Chris combines science and universal truth. The universe was testing my determination level because I was able to record this podcast only on the third try, but I was very determined to deliver this amazing conversation to you guys, and it's super awesome. Let's jump into today's conversation. Okay, I have a good feeling about this one. I have a good feeling too. I have changed my internet source connection, so maybe. So did I. I was like, you know, <laughs> we're gonna, this is going to work. Even if we don't want it to, it's going to work. It has to work. Yes, we are here. We're live. We are. Okay, perfect. Because I'm curious if I, I think it was when my phone screen was dimming down. I was like, oh, son of a biscuit. That's not supposed to work like that. Are you still under the palm trees or did you move the location? Oh, no, still enjoying the sweet palm trees. And yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I found this perfect little coffee shop and yeah, I'm posted up right outside of it. Uh, yeah, just stressing out. Great, great. I'm so happy it finally worked. And yeah, I'm even more stoked that it worked. I was waiting for you. And yeah, we tried to connect several times. And I'm so, so happy and honored to have you on my podcast. So thank you, Chris, for being here today. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, we sometimes you got to do those things. Like sometimes, you know, it gives you the test and then you get the lesson. So I guess today's patience. Seems like it. So, Chris, I want to take all the listeners back in the days when you were little, when you were a small kid, Chris, because I have watched your story uh, where you said how you started your community and what you do now, but I really want to paint the picture and have more context how you were as a kid, as little Chris. Yeah, as little Chris. So when we were jamming on this, um, it, it got me thinking even more about it when we when we did record like version three for anybody that that is is keeping up with some of these things. Um, so what I was starting to realize and what I was sharing um, before is that I remember waking up early and remembering the stillness of the house and that like really early in the morning time, like it felt like the world was sleeping. And I just very much like remember having like those snapshot emotions where everything just like fell away. And like, I was just so fully present, I think is what I, uh, what I realize now. And the morning time was one of those things. So I used to wake up early for work and he would have his coffee and um, yeah, I just remember wanting to see him in the morning. So I would kind of like make that happen and I could hear him get up. So I would get up and then I'd be downstairs and he'd take off and tell me you love me. And then it was just me in the house. And for like 30 minutes to an hour before my mom woke up, like I just remember like sitting there and like, it felt like a different world. It felt like it was just me. And that was really cool for somebody that was like, you know, six, seven years. And as I got older, uh, I, I fell in love with nature. I grew up in Michigan I grew up in the country and I was always in the woods, always, you know, 
dirty toenails, dirty fingernails, like all the stuff playing around in the trees and sword sticks and, and all of the stuff. And then, yeah, got to get home when the streetlights come on and stuff like that. So that was very much my childhood. Um, I played a lot of soccer. I fell in love with soccer when I was six and I still play today. Um, it was like, I, I recognized the feeling that it gave me where the world fell apart and everything just made sense. And even now, like if I get like really stressed out or, um, I just feel like nothing makes sense. Um, like I, currently brought with me like my my soccer cleats and two soccer balls because it, it just constantly makes me feel better if i just run around and like kick and juggle a ball for a while um so yeah that's a little snapshot of of childhood that's so beautiful that you when you were six or seven years old had this realization of how important it is to connect just to yourself in the morning and i'm just wondering where did you find that practice did it just came to you or did it come from your parents or anywhere else yeah so it came from a couple different places um you know my, my parents both uh got up early in the morning my mom was a social worker for like 35 years and she's a counselor and therapist like she's extraordinary and my dad was uh, a cnc machinist and he also built movie sets So he would be up at like the crack of 4am to go build movie sets a lot of these times um, in Detroit and in Atlanta and all these other different places. So um, I don't know, it was always fascinating to me. And this, I guess, is some contrast. I would watch my dad come back from work and just be amazed, just like completely astonished. He'd come back from work at like six at night and he's like man I've, i've already been up for like 12 hours and be like oh my gosh like yeah you've been alive and i think that was like where i started to like click in I'm like you've been alive more today than i was alive and i was like well i want to be alive more um and yeah i started to get up early and it was interesting contrast because i would wake up early and be really excited but like my parents would wake up and you know they they enjoyed their mornings and things like that but like they were ever as excited as I was sometimes to just go like explore the world. Uh, yeah. And a part of me really like got curious to like why that was like, I, I remember I was seven and I got in really big trouble um, because we used to be able to like ride our bikes around the neighborhood, right? Like, don't worry about the street lights are on. I think that was everybody's rule. I got up at like five one day and I just wanted to go for a bike ride around the neighborhood. because like the world was sleeping And my parents came downstairs and I was like walking in the doors. They were coming down. Chris, you've got a little bit cut off with your story where you said that you went early in the morning with the bicycles and then your parents woke up and you were gone for like a minute or so. Oh yeah. I was gone for like 30 <laughs> minutes. I went for like a 30 minute bike ride. And yeah, I came back when they were coming down the stairs or like my dad was coming down the stairs and he's like, where the, where the heck were you? And I was like, oh, I went for a bike ride. And he goes, no, you don't know. It's five. It's why, why did you go for a bike ride at like five in the morning? And I'm like, because I wanted to, like, I don't know. There's like a sense of like freedom and curiosity that I've had for a long time. And how did your parents felt about it? How did they like react when you would just like go and wander for hours in nature? Because you said like, it really stuck with me. I want to be alive more. So what does it mean to you? Yeah, I think I associated being awake with being alive back then. Um, so I was like, oh, my dad's been alive for like six more hours than I have today. Like, that's not going to do. Um, so I think that was a huge part of it. And then, yeah, pretty much it was like free roam. Like, I wasn't doing anything like crazy back there and like wasn't getting into trouble in the woods and, and stuff like that. And like my friends like lived down the road. So they basically said, you know, as, soon as, as long as the streetlights come on and like you're not like catching things on fire, like go for it. And yeah, that was a huge part of my childhood is, is having all my friends around. And, um, you know, I think every friend group has the house, um, together, like the house that everybody meets at. And that was always my house. Like my mom was constantly cooking food. Um, so you always go where the food is. So we had that going on and then we just rode bikes all the time too. Like once we got to the age where we didn't have to like just stay in the neighborhood and we could explore like the tiny town that we lived in, um, that was what we did. We like rode bikes all over the place and, and just explored. And we went down to the river and we jumped in the river and um, yeah, but we were like never getting into trouble. We were just always like being boys and it was amazing. It truly sounds amazing. 
And I also really want to ask you, because from psychological perspective, they say that we as human beings don't change at our core. And as I'm listening to you, you say that you are still using the same tactics and practices. When it's really tough or gets really hard, you still go to nature. So I'm wondering, what do you think about this thought? Like, yes, we can change our thinking patterns, our habits and everything. But what do you think? Do we change at our core as, as human beings? So this is like one of those conversations that I have quite frequently where I think we're all kind of born with like gifts and we all kind of have like a nature about us. And I think my nature, like the, the essence, if you like put Chris in a blender and you like distilled it, I think it would just be really like curious and like, I want to experience things and I could experience a lot of different things. And I just, I always remember this feeling of curiosity. Every time I would like, we had a little bridge that like crossed over this Creek. And the moment that I would like step onto that bridge and I would go explore and I was like, man, like there's a whole new like section of woods out there. Or I wonder if like the deer will be out there today. Or um, I wonder if like the baby Cardinals are out of the nest today. Like it was always, always new. And I really loved that. Like I really, really loved that things were new. And when we first started having like vacations down South, um, I loved that the tide changed and it like completely changed the beach every day. Like something new would always come in. And I really fell in love with like the ocean at an early age because it was like always refreshing. It was, it was a new day. It was a new day. It was a new day. And we kind of had that up North in Michigan, um, where it was new, but like the shifting tides, like always fascinated me. So now I live on the water. Um, and yeah, so I don't know if we can, if we can change that like essential nature, I think it's an expression of our soul in some cases, mm -hmm. um, psychologically speaking, you know, I, I think there's some aspects of psychology and neurology that we're just taking like guesses at, um, but like how we are and who we are, I think a part of that really breaks down to, um, fearing like our greatness and like stepping into that power and like not being loved for who we truly are and the things that truly bring us value. And I, I unfortunately saw that in a lot of my friends too, where like, you know, the same guys that, um, we would wrestle in the mud and ride bikes all day. And, you know, we would steal dollar bills so we could get, um, like Arizona teas and stuff like that, like from our parents and stuff. Like, um, I kind of watched like the world make them forget that I watched the stress kind of take over their lives. And it made me really sad, um, to watch some of those things occur, to watch them, um, you know, in some ways sacrifice what they always told me was their dream for stability. And I get that too. I get that so much. Like, um, for anybody that doesn't know, I'm a single dad to my four-year-old daughter, like, and, and she's my everything, right. I would do anything for her. And, um, you know, the stability is insanely important, but more than anything, every day that she comes down the stairs, like she gets to witness daddy expressing his potential. Like, she sits on my lap when I do podcasts sometimes or like, you know, she's in a lot of like my content that I make and I want her to grow up in an environment that like nourishes that. And that like really shows her like, listen, like I don't want you to choose stability. Like you can always come back to daddy and I will absolutely celebrate the shit out of your failures. As long as you are living a life that feels good to you. Like it was, it was my goal to like put in a bunch of hard work to get to where I am today so that, she can have that unhindered experience of just like expressing who she wants to be without rules, without regulations, without standards. And I'm doing my best to do that. Yeah. It all sounds like so empowering, but also so challenging because as you said, we are as human beings afraid to be great, to shine bright because at some point, as you mentioned, we might not felt to be loved for who we are. Yeah. And then we start to shape ourselves and change ourselves to match the environment that we're in. So what helped you to be who you are today, to shine brightly and to encourage your daughter? I love seeing her in your content. She's amazing. She is. So she for anybody is. that doesn't know, uh, my daughter's name is Phoenix. And every time I, I, I'm going to say, express her name with vigor, um, when she's drawn with Sharpie on the walls, it's a reminder. And 
the reason, I think a huge reason that I am where I am today is because I got the just crap kicked out of me in my early 20s. Um, I had a string of trauma just like break me down to zero because I was very much on my pathway to stability. And I, I don't want people to think that stability is bad either. Stability is, is phenomenal. Like I have a very stable life right now, but I didn't sacrifice my values and my freedoms for that stability. And that's a very different world than some of the other things that I've been able to witness. So when I was getting a year into my doctorate, the universe like kind of cracked open and said like, all right, like you want something different. Uh, here's how you kind of do that. And I think we all kind of get those whispers. Um, in, in my world, we kind of call that white ceiling syndrome where you have these like voices in your head or this like urge or this feeling or this desire to do something differently. And it's, it's a voice and it's a feeling that like nobody else but yourself would ever be able to witness. And it usually manifests when you're staring at the white ceiling as you're trying to fall asleep at night. And I started to get that a lot. And I just tried to suppress it. I tried to ignore it. I was like, you know, I'm going to have a practice. I'm going to be this doctor by 25 and like all this other stuff. And yeah, I just couldn't ignore it. I want to ask what was on your white ceilings? What did you see before falling asleep at night? Yeah, it, it more than anything was like this urge to do something differently. Um, like it, despite me having like all of the education that I do and I'm still back in school right now and I don't think I'll stop. Like, I, I think I have two more PhDs, um, that I want to go get and board certifications. I have a lot of school that I want to do, but I never liked school. Like I, I'm not a great student by any measure of the imagination. Um, like I had to work like really gosh darn hard to get, um, into doctor at school and to like, you know, complete my boards. Like I busted can to do that. So I think part of that voice was like, Hey, like, you know, this life that you've created, you don't have to have it if you don't want it. Like, I understand that it's stressful, but if you want to do something differently, like you can do that too. So I think it was a call back to that, like curious freedom that I had when I was a child. And I was really excited about that too. Like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, if I wanted to do different, I absolutely could. And at that time that was, that was around, you know, 2015, 2016, I was like 21, 22 years old. And I was like, all right, like some interesting things are going around in this world. So, like if I wanted to get a sprinter van and like go work from McDonald's, I could, if I, if I really wanted to do that, I could, but the world kind of like said, no, like we're going to do things differently. So I think that call that I had was just like, what you're doing is not necessarily wrong, but there's something different out there for you. Like the nine to five practice, like And I knew this from a really early age, like the nine to five job type of thing, five days a week was a prison for me. Um, I was very blessed at an early age. I had some like really awesome synchronicities happen where um, I became a plant manager of a large factory um, when I was 17 years old. Um, and I, I helped scale this business with zero business experience um, all the way from, you know, 500K per quarter drops to like, you know, getting into the black, 100,000, 200,000, seven figures, pushing eight figures um, in just a short period of time. And it wasn't that I had the business intellect. It was that I was a people person. Um, I knew how to connect with people and actually find not the symptom, but the cause of what was going on, which is a, a skill that I am still blessed to be able to have today. So the traumas that I had uh, kind of cracked me through to utilize that gift. Um, instead of, you know, being in practice nine to five, well, I want to work on my terms. Like what if it's a Wednesday and I don't want to go to work today? What if I want to read books today? And then I became a dad and I was like, well, what if I don't want to just read books? Like what if I want to take my daughter surfing for the day? I want to take her out of school. Like, is that something that's available to me? And what got me into that space was losing my physical body, losing my emotional health and losing my mental health. And that happened from being hit by a car destroyed my physical body. I got hit uh, when I was riding my bicycle. Two weeks later, I lost my dad to suicide out of the absolute blue. My dad was my best friend. He lived down the road from me in Atlanta. We hung out all the time. And yeah, he had this inner demon that nobody knew about. So when he passed away and he like chose to leave in that way, it left a massive hole in my life um, that I still recover from. Um, you know, I, I still think about it. I still feel about that. And a couple weeks after that, I found out that I was going to be a dad and, you know, a single dad at that um, in a very short period of time, full-time single dad. Um, and just navigating that space at 23 years old 
when my daughter was about to be born, I didn't have pennies to rub together. Um, I didn't have anything. And I was three years away from still graduating. Um, it was a terrifying space. And when I had absolutely nothing, I realized um, one night as I was like crying, um, just like, this is, there's no way this can work. Like, this is too much stacked against me. Like, can't keep taking my daughter into the clinic and I can't keep taking her into classes and stuff like that. And I'm not doing well in school and all of this. And I, I had this thought is that when you have nothing, you can have everything and anything in your life. And I wrote that down in that mantra, like just like kept rippling through my life. Like I don't have anything, but that means I can have anything. And I was like, man, that is so interesting. Like why that's like that sense of curious freedom I used to have when I was like walking around in nature. So Fast forward, you know, almost five and a half years to where I am today is I, I, I run a awesome consulting and coaching business. I'm a, uh, international speaker and, uh, I'm just super blessed to have the life that I have where I, I get to sit at a coffee shop right now and I'm like, you know, quote unquote working and I'm mm-hmm. going to go pick my daughter up from school and we're going to go surf or paddleboard or we can do whatever the heck that we want. Um, but I had to sacrifice my fear in order to have freedom. And that fear that I had was so certain. It was so predictable. It was so stable that giving it it up uh, was terrifying. When you don't have anything, you can have everything. That was the mantra. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said that you, encourage your daughter so she would go out and live without any limitations because your story brought me back to it so she wouldn't be afraid to have failures and everything so does these circumstances does these traumas in your life that have been so deep and so life-changing do you think these were the pivotal moments that formed the mindset that you have today and you are trying to ingrain and have with your daughter. Yeah. So somebody asked me this question the other day is if you could go back, would you, would you undo those traumas? Um, would you, somebody asked me a really hard question and they asked me if you could have your dad back, would you? I was like, dang, like what, that's a hard question to ask because I I think the gift that he gave me was like breaking free of the prison that I think killed him. I think the stress of the nine to five job, like, I don't think like my sense of curiosity and freedom didn't come from anywhere. I think it came from him and the prison that he lived inside of was a nine to five job that just consumed him and consumed him and consumed him. And I think like the final lesson that he was able to show me was like, break free. Like it, it drowned him. It killed him. So I don't know if I would go back. Like I obviously want my dad back in the best way, but if I could keep the lessons and undo the dramas, yeah, I might have some of that because I have consumed football fields of pizza uh, to make myself feel better. So some of it be a little easier on my body, but I don't think I would change those, those traumas that I've had because they, I wouldn't be who I am without them. I wouldn't be able to be Um, the dad that I am and I wouldn't be able to hold the space that I do. I would be working in a nine to five practice. And yeah, I think I would just be so different that I wouldn't recognize myself if I walked into a room. So I'm grateful for those things now. I think this is so, so true because I was also talking with my parents and my mom said, Oh, I just realized how little you were when we got separated and how much it affected you. And I was like, you know, mom, but I'm so grateful for it because if not that situation, I wouldn't be here where I am today with like all of the experience, all of the knowledge and all of the insights that I got from that. Exactly. Exactly. as said. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. So it seems that you have always been a very curious person. As you said, you always wanted to learn something new. So was it something why you got into researching in neuroscience? Yeah. So as I'm, I'm sure some people can imagine, uh, all of the traumas that I faced in such a short period of time uh, left me struggling, for lack of better words. Like, it was pretty bad. Um, like, I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to eat. And I was just like, how are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole? Like, 
I don't know how to be a dad. Like that's terrifying. Like I, I now have a tiny human who's my responsibility. Like what? Um, and I didn't want to like mess her up and like, I just, you know, keep her alive. Like all the things like was killing my like house plants. Like, and now I have a, a child. So all of those things kind of like stacked up into the experience of like, all right, let's do therapy. Like I don't have two nickels to rub together, but like, um, you know, I, I, I want to be better. So like, let's work on therapy and yeah, I, I have no beef with therapy whatsoever. Um, but I think sometimes therapy in conjunction with like stress management can do just wonders for people. And that's what took me into the world of self-regulation and neuroscience is somebody said, you know, the environment doesn't support the idea. I was like, the environment doesn't support the idea. Boy, that's clever. And all the affirmations, all the personal development, all of like the reframing that cognitive behavioral therapy provides to so many people and provides so much relief to so many people too. Like, like I said, my mom's been a therapist for 35 years and it's extraordinary. Um, but now even she, you know, sends me referrals. So if I could change the environment that the brain was operating in, like the brain state, the neural infrastructure, and turn on different areas of the brain, well, that's just going to create a different potential for those ideas to actually grab root. Like I'm tilling the soil to plant the seed instead of throwing the seeds up in the air and hoping that they find dirt. I'm actually going to change the infrastructure of what I'm building out here and started to get really into neurofeedback and then realized, like, okay, like neurofeedback's really expensive and it's not available to everybody. So started to lean more on biofeedback and I was like, okay, this is way better. I can start to do some of these things. They start to make sense. The research is really good and the technology is only going to get better. And I kept leaning into that and then, oh, the next door opened and the next door opened and the next door opened. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, um, yeah, I use biometric focused neurofeedback and biofeedback to help people better understand their stress response and then tie that in with some psychology that I've been able to study. And yeah, it opened the door for a lot of people to bridge the gap of understanding the purpose of therapy, which is to really change how you're expressing yourself. Um, it's to unpack and allow yourself to feel safe. And once I like started to have those realizations of like, okay, Therapy is about allowing myself to feel safe in my body. Well, what is safety in the brain? Like, where is that center? And how do I turn that on? Like, is there behaviors? Is there practices? Like, how, how can I literally do that? And I was like, oh, well, I can. I can literally do that. And I just spent the last five years building out blueprints and toolboxes and protocols and systems and procedures so that if you have anxiety versus depression, you don't get, you know, a be-all, end-all, catch, grab, here it is. Like, this is the only tool. It's like, no, no, no. If you have anxiety, you're overstimulated. If you have depression, you're understimulated. The protocols for those things should be dang near opposite. So the mental health world kind of needs a facelift and neuroscience has been there for that. And to all of my therapists, my psychologists out there, like they are also very keenly aware of this. And so many of them love neuroscience so much. And I am like, over the moon about that because they have these skill sets and they can recognize brain states and like their body composition of their clients and just go, Oh, shoulders rolled in, hips kind of tucked over, arms crossed. Okay. Stressed out, having a social stress response. They're fawning right now. I need to make sure that before we go open expression, kind of Freudian, let's allow them to feel safe. Hey, do you want a weighted blanket or do you want this or do you want that? And really starting to dive into some of those tools I mean, it's amazing the progress that we're able to make on um, patients and clients using some very simple science to explain to them um, why they're feeling that way because the brain very much needs an anchor of explanation um, because a lot of you know the primary emotions that we have around anger and frustration come from a lack of understanding. So if we can bridge that with science, well, heck, we are well on our way to making very sustainable changes to the way that people regulate and rewire their brains. This part for me is so interesting uh, because I'm also like wearing an order ring, which yeah. gives me and provides me a lot of information about my body because I would always rely on how much I how, like how I feel. But now I have the data to back it up and to see if it's like actually true because this is what you are working on to, to really have the biometric data to show people how they are changing. Yep. And that's exactly what it was. Like the, the biofeedback, the clinical biofeedback that I, I was taught in school 
um, was also, you know, a couple hundred dollars a session. And while the data is insanely accurate, I started to get into wearable technology. And I was like, man, like, what if I didn't have to do this in practice? Like, what, what if I didn't have to literally be inside of a practice to do this? Like, what if I could do this as like a service and just work on it as an education point so that people can be their own facilitators? They can take care of their own health. Like, we can put the power of education back into the people's hands. So part of what I do is I, I work with a couple different neuroscience cohorts, but one of my like really great friends is a neuroscience translator. So she'll take these very complex ideas, these very complex theories um, and research papers, and we discuss them a couple of times a week. And then I take a lot of that information and the studies and I do the same thing. And I just try to translate it in a way that the general public can understand without using all the complex, you know, neuropsychology and some of those other lingos that can very much go over people's heads. Like, heck, sometimes that stuff goes over my head. I'm like, slow down. Like, is this still written in English? So having somebody that can translate that and then like being able to follow them and getting practical tips for mental health. Um, that was where mental health really failed me is it was very etheric. It was like, well, yeah, focus on the things that are going to give you happiness. I'm like, yeah, no, like that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like there's gotta be something different. Like happiness is a part of this area. So I'm trying to plant seeds of happiness, but I'm like throwing those seeds of happiness on the concrete, expecting them to grow. That's not going to happen. I want to actually throw them in soil that is like good fertilized nutrition dense. And great, I need to open up these different era, areas of the brain, which is stress management, self-regulation. So I started doing a bunch of that and then figuring out, like, you know, the Aura Ring is hyper affordable for, like, the amount of, like, accuracy and data that it has. So now the groups that I have, that's what I run. Like, people get Aura Rings and they become the scientists of their own lives. And we dive super deep into that stuff. Yeah, I love that you said that you're translating people into, like, a very simple language in the neuroscience because I love learning from the experience and we did the meditation where you just run down the hill and you just concentrate on one like you have one focus point and then I saw a video that you did like explaining what it actually does to your brain and I also do free diving and you talked about uh, wave breathing in that video and I was like okay so like It's all neuroscience, but you just like, I just learned it like, you know, differently. So I love that you give like very actionable and easy tools that are really backed up by neuroscience. Yeah, it, it was a beautiful thing for me to discover um, that like a lot of the things that they were talking about in personal development weren't wrong. And especially in the mindset field, it's not that they were wrong. I think it's just not step one. Right. So like affirmations and meditation and things like that, they're extremely powerful practices. And I want to have people have a foundation of like self-regulation so that if they do start to have practices that don't start to pan out. And this was my frustration, got into personal development with like, you know, neurolinguistic programming and um, law of attraction. Like, all right, I'm going to speak into existence what I want, but my nervous system is stressed. So I'm being chased by a bear saying that I am abundant. And yeah, my system does not believe that I am abundant when I'm being chased by a bear. It believes that I'm going to die. And if my thoughts are electric and my feelings are magnetic, well, I'm going to constantly attract fear into my life. And at that point, I was like, yeah, I got to get rid of the bear. Like if I can get rid of the bear, then a lot of this is going to start to make sense. And heck, it worked so well. And it's continued to work for so many people that I continue to do what I do today. So what is the step one to get a wearable tracker where you can measure your stress? Or yeah. What, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even think that that is step one for a lot of people. Step one is just taking inventory. Um, you know, I, I personally rely heavily on the science because, you know, that's, that's just a part of my life. I'm, I'm skeptical. I've, I've grew up and um, loved science from like a really early age. I've always been curious. So I really love like evidence-based information, but I also have like a very spiritual side about me that, great. Like how can you measure someone's ability to like let go and release? Uh, I don't know if you can, I don't know if that's something that's available to people. Um, but what is available to people is their ability to reframe and take inventory in a stress less state. And a lot of people, it's just gaining clarity of like, alrighty, like we have stress, what triggered the stress? And is there something I can do tomorrow to lessen that stress. So part of that sleep diet exercise is always the foundation that I build people on. 
everybody always wants to go straight to like the reframing and all of the neuroscience when I don't think that that is like the most sustainable platform. Like if you're not getting sleep and you don't have the ability to like replenish all of those neuromodulators and neurotranslators, well, you're just not going to think and feel as clearly because your stress threshold is going to be so much lower. So, all right, let's talk about like getting that corrected. Let's start to fixate on those things. Let's got really obsessed. Like somebody always asked me like, what's the best thing that you can do for your brain? And you know, what's the best supplement? It's like, no, like sleep, it is sleep point blank. It's always going to be sleep. Like the better that you sleep, the better you are going to be as a human being. So get obsessed with sleep. If you want something to do, that's the pathway to go to. And then exercise and like diet, like the research is extremely clear. Like uh, aerobic exercise is like just as potent of an antidepressant as like a lot of these medications. It takes time to build it up, but it's not, it's, uh, it's the most sustainable pathway as far as I'm clear. So some of these things that we build up, we forget that they're skills. So like depression and anxiety are a skill that we develop over time which doesn't feel good, but it's passive. So undoing that damage is also a some time. So we build these things up through, you know, weeks to months and undoing that is also going to require that same thing. So if we can make those changes, well, you're well on your way to like being a really empowered human being that doesn't take any like crap and takes responsibility instead. Um, and that's a hard space to step into as well. I don't remember who I have the conversation with, but we also talked about how people are searching for like the magic pill or five minute exercise that like will change their health. And I was like, yeah, but like when you like spend a lot of time researching for it, like I get to the point where I know that like simplicity is the key. And as you said, like when people are asking you what they can do, the best thing like to manage their stress it is sleep yeah yeah just go to bed early sleep normal hours wake up early yeah and like the the thing that i imagine a lot of your listeners are thinking right now is like yeah i'll i'll go to bed early but i'm gonna sit there and i'm gonna think myself into rumination or depression like i don't know how to sleep <laughs> yes right? Like I, I get that as well so let's remember that our inability to sleep is also a skill right? Which took practice to get there, which also means that we're going to experience plasticity as we change those pathways as well. And plasticity like doesn't feel good. Neuroplasticity doesn't feel good. It requires focus, attention, and agitation or frustration. So when we make those pathways back into health, we are unwiring and regulating old pathways. So when you try to do something new, yeah, hell no, it's not going to feel good. Your system is making change and it does not like that. Like, no, no way. System does not like that at all. But on the other side of that, the short term, you're not going to see the changes, but long term, this is like, all right, stress over long periods of time, like shortens telomeres, starts to like mess with your longevity, start to get gray hair as your redox potential goes down. Like every study that's out there is always talking about, you know, we need to like build up like telomere and epigenetic expression. Well, Sleep is one of the best things to do that. Self-regulation, one of the best things, better understanding your relationship with stress. Awesome. Once we develop those things, well, a lot of these health challenges that we have start to like disappear. And there are hundreds of thousands of case studies out there showing that people go into stress management, like immersions for three to four months and um, autoimmune conditions are suddenly going away, like Hashimoto's and like thyroiditis and all these other things start to like disappear it's extremely effective with like pain management, but it just requires time. There is no magic pill. There is no magic wand. It requires time, skill, and patience. And this is why I think communities and coaching and therapy are so gosh darn powerful because you have accountability there to support you for as long as you need. Um, and that's a really awesome space to be inside as well. Yeah, I believe we all get it like hard to accept that no matter the skill that we want to learn it can take you months years and then people are like okay so i don't want it and i was like so how much do you really want the change yep. because it can take long periods of time and i think it's really hard for a lot of us to grasp on it that yeah everything takes time yep it really really does and there's one thing I want people to take away is like most people are aware of the changes that they need to make. But the first like two weeks of that, 
that's when plasticity is the hardest because that old pathway that you're trying to change is so certain and it's so efficient and it's so easy, right? You have to climb up that slide with like a pair of brand new socks on. It's very slippery to fall back down and go into your old habits and routines. And you don't have to be perfect to make those changes. You just need to be consistent, right? So if you're trying to be healthier, you're trying to like get to bed at a better hour or you're trying to stress less, like you're trying to journal every day start small and build skill up as you go. I think a lot of us like go, okay, he said, sleep, diet, exercise. I'm going to go paleo. I'm going to go to bed at 7 PM every single day. I'm going to meditate for six hours. And it's like, oh no, like the amount of change that you're trying to input into the system is not turning down the stress. It's so much uncertainty that your stress management tools are now stressful. And I see that all the time in personal development too. Like 75 hard is like the most classic example of that. Like 80% of people fail that in the first like two to three days because like it's so much change. Instead, like if you ramped up into that where it's like 20 minutes of book reading, all right, I'm gonna start with five, right? And I'm gonna slowly increase every week. Um, That's where you really step into that power. That's where like, all right, I understand like today my sleep score, my readiness score, like I can't handle as much stimulation today because I didn't sleep really well last night. All right, so I'm gonna stack up my day for rest and recovery not for optimal physical performance. So I'm not going to go for a run today. I'm going to do yoga today. And then tomorrow, oh, look how high my sleep score is. So I'm playing this yo-yo game where it's up, down, up, down, up, down. Little ups, little downs, learn, rest, recover, repeat. Little ups, little downs, learn, rest, recover, repeat. And then I can see my trends in the way that my data shows up too. And that way, like now I'm just, for like lack of better terms, I'm just bulletproof because there's nothing that's not figure outable. There's nothing I can't like unstress. There's no path that I can't change. Like I take full responsibility for where I am right now because I built up all these skills over time. So I'm far, very, very far from perfect, but I know I have the skills and the roadmap to take myself and take other people there as well. This is so true. Small incremental steps. And I think like I have been on that path as well where I would like take the big leap and jump like all in. And now when I like tell people that like uh, mental stress and physical stress adds up because I can see it like in my aura ring in my variable digit digital um, data, and they're like, "What? So I can't like be like full in my job and then like go for like five miles run and train for a marathon and so on?" And I'm like, "Well, you're burn- burning a candle at like both sides." So yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's penalties to pay for that. (laughs) Yes. Yep. 200%. Yeah. But as you said, like we have those like toxic attachments and I heard you saying that they have the certainty built in. So even when we have a skill to have an anxiety or feel depressive states, it, it is very, it feels safe to be in those because our brain are so wired to go back into that state. And it is, it is, we want to see the change like instantly. Right. And I think we not acknowledge, I think that was my problem because I didn't acknowledge like the small step, the small wins that I did. And I think, as you said, this is where the coaching and the community is very important because sometimes we don't, I don't know, pat ourselves on the back for the little progress that we did. We want to like climb the mountain Everest and only then we can celebrate, but we don't celebrate like the first second and first step that we made. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. The process is small step changes. Yeah. Having the community, having the coach. Yeah. And you don't have to have the coach either. Like if, if anybody's ever like seen any like social medias or anything, like, it's never my goal to like sell you into my program or into other programs and everything like that. People are highly self-sustainable. It's just a matter of speed. Like if you want to go faster and if you want to have results, well, you need some community there to like help support you. I think everybody is highly capable of doing all of these different things, but it's just a matter of like, all right, like what do I know are my weaknesses and my strengths and how can I execute and like lean into those in a new space that feels good, that feels aligned with me. And then better understanding that, like, that's resilience. It's, it's knowing your weakness and then moving forward, acknowledging that, and then doing something differently. 
knowing your weaknesses. I think we are always trying to hide our weaknesses, not only from the external world, but from ourselves as well. So how can we find out our weaknesses and be vulnerable and be more open? Again, it's it's a skill set that we have to build over time. So I think the best way to start that platform is really learning to be vulnerable with yourself. Like when was the last time that like you just like really acknowledged the way that you were feeling? Like right now I'm having a very mentally stimulating conversation. And until I actually take a breath and slow down and acknowledge how my body's feeling, like, oh, I'm bracing my core. Or, oh, I'm like kind of breathing only through my shoulders. And man, yeah, I do feel a little bit of like anxiousness. When was the last time we ever did a body scan to really check in with the way that we're actually feeling? Like, we're not taught those skills. Well, awesome. If we're not taught those skills, then it's time to start to develop them. Like, to build a relationship with our body that's empowering instead of, like, built on shame. And some of those things just take time to have. But it's something that I believe everybody can have. Like, it's it's built into the system for a reason. Like, plasticity is built into the system for a reason. I think, for me, a really eye-opening thing was because... I could always check in with myself when I felt good, when I felt gratitude and all the uplifting emotions. But I think I really was in the denial when my body didn't feel right. And I was like trying to push myself to like quickly go back into the high state. And I wouldn't let myself to feel those lower vibe emotions, those like lower tones of energies that are completely normal. And I think... That is also very important to acknowledge and to let ourselves feel those feelings. Yep, 200%. Couldn't agree more. I think that the main problem we're all getting into trouble with is like, as you said, stability is important, but the world is forever changing and there's nothing as uh, like there's that thing I don't remember it but like there's nothing as permanent as change I think that's how it goes so how can we how can we become anti-fragile to the fact that the life is like constantly changing and that there's no security yeah this is like the most beautiful thing ever is it's changing like change is the only certainty that we have and it's going to take time to embrace that for people. That that is the thing that we are gifted with. It is change. That that is the one certainty. That is the that is the guarantee that we have. Is like what we have is going to shift and change. How you operate inside of that is totally up to you, right? So like you can go through life and say that it is going to be a dumpster fire, or you can go through and embrace change. So you can be afraid of the change, or you can be curious. And those two different states, that's a choice. Um, it, it truly is. And some of that comes down to like learning to better unpack our circumstances and to change them and take control of what we do have control over. Uh, and then learning to let go of the things that we don't and taking full responsibility for the way that you're thinking, feeling, and acting despite external circumstances, because there have been people that have made it through much worse with much less and create an empowered lifestyle that has allowed them to like have amazing, uh, messages to share and all these other beautiful things. So I, I know that there is a lot of different changes going on on our planet right now. And at the same time, um, it's an opportunity for us to like learn about who we want to be in this new world that we're creating as well. And I know that I want to be a part of somebody that leads people to empowerment, to accept what is going on in the world and say, okay, the world seems to be on fire, but like, who's to say that that's bad? Who's to say that there's not things that don't need to get burned up and changed? And I know, for one, I'm going to take responsibility to empower people to be the change that they want in the world. If you want to see a less stressful world, like, all right, like, what are you doing, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, politically, local governments, big governments, the way that you spend your money? How are you doing that that's based on your values? Are you empowering people, empowering local businesses, and looking at your actions to see if they are rippling through your values or if they're creating dissonance in the way that you're living your life? That's so, so beautiful. For me, it's all about getting to know yourself and your values and living your life in alignment with it, which is like the most important thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say that we go off is from neuroscience perspective? Is it when we completely delete the 
neural pathways to the attachment of the thing that we have, or what is it? Um, you know, it, it's a competition thing, and it's a very long conversation. But essentially, when we start to make those changes, we create two pathways. The old pathway has a hundred percent focus and attention, right? Which means it's very easy. It's a very slippery pathway. It's a very efficient pathway, and the brain doesn't want to change those things. The brain is three percent of your biomass, but takes up thirty percent. Um, of your calories. So changing the brain is very expensive. It's very costly and it doesn't want to do it because those pathways get changed uh, with fat deposits called myelination, which is also very expensive to shift and change. So the brain wants to stay stagnant. It wants to stay still. It wants to stay stable. And sometimes fear is the most stable thing that you can have. So this is why we have toxic attachment to things that are good for us. Is like, oh, it is a platform that I don't want to change because why would I change something that's so certain, so stable? So it takes time. It takes patience. And there's like the 66-day rule, right, that it takes 22 days to establish a new pathway, 22 more days uh, to challenge the old pathway, and then 22 more to extinct the old one. And starting to like live inside of that life to know, hey, this is going to be a process. Um, it also requires us to be graceful with ourselves and to be a part of communities and, and support networks, whether that's a church or a book club or surrounding yourself with people that are providing you fulfillment. Like that's a huge part of that as well. So letting go, it is about really deleting that neural pathway in our brain that we needed, right? Yeah, in some cases, it's it gets a little bit more complex than that mm -hmm. um, at times. But yeah, that's that's definitely a part of that. Chris, it was so beautiful to have this conversation with you. I can hear the wind blowing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that you're really enjoying the sun below the palm trees. And just let my audience know where people can find you. So if they would want to connect with you more and find out about you more. Absolutely. So all of my handles are always uh, at Dr. Chris Lee, D-R-C-H-R-I-S-L-E-E. -E. I run a podcast and we just hit top 1% the other day, which is such a blessing. I'm super grateful um, for that. And that podcast is called The Healthy Mind Fuck. And that is available anywhere and we just got brought onto the amazon platform as well so you can stream us live from your tv now Woohoo! amazing congrats on that thank you so much thank you so much for your time and thanks so much for explaining my audience so many wonderful things about our brain you are so welcome thank you so much for having me